welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. Hey Amy, welcome to the podcast. Hi, aloha from Hawaii. I love it, I love it. Instantly I know we're going to get on just with that opening statement. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> Amy, I guess before we even get into kind of everything about Amy and who she is, I, get, I asked you right at the very start what your logline was and kind of to bring it to the show kind of what what you know who are you and what's your logline and do you have that this was a difficult task Danny <laughs> and what's funny is I always ask people to do this as well like a six word story and it's uh it was really tricksy for me but I would say that my logline could be that I'm a professional obsessive dot connector a mind butterfly and an itinerant artist. Oh, wow. Wow. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> and it's funny because my middle name actually means butterfly. It's Vanessa. And I think about this a lot that I, I flit around from thing to thing. And um, I'm sort of a generalist in that aspect, I guess. So that's, that's okay. why I said mind butterfly. I love that. It's, that's, that's ace. So before we, we get in, Amy, when you was young and you was in school, and the teacher would ask you kind of, Amy, what is it you want to be when you grow up? What would what would be the answer you'd give him? <laughs> My first love was being a spy. I just <laughs> I just wanted to be a spy. And then I found out later I probably would tell all the secrets, so not a good choice. But um I also fantasized about being the person that does the illustrations and animations for the Pink Panther openings, you know, that they have those movies. <laughs> so I guess, you know, maybe an illustrator animator. And then my other my third choice was always elevator voice girl. And I still kind of want to be that. Like, I would love to be Siri. I would love to be the voice of Siri. Like, or, you know, turn left now, going to floor four. I just kind of <laughs> think that would be fun to do. So, yeah, those were my three top choices. Okay, cool. So before we get into, into this, I guess, I tend to ask all the guests to pick four numbers from um, one to a zero, uh, one to a hundred. What four numbers Ooh. would yours be? Okay. Four numbers. Yep. Just random. Just okay. Yep. I'm gonna pick twenty-two. Okay. Eighty-eight. Yep. Okay. Two and uh ah okay three two and three ha ha okay. two and three twenty-two and eighty-eight there you go perfect we will come back to them later on down the line so Amy I've I've been following you for a while on Twitter and then we recently connected up on LinkedIn. But I guess for the people who, who don't know who you are, maybe, uh, yeah, give us a bit of, of a brief bio on who you are, kind of where you're from and kind of what, what you've been through from here to get to where you are right now. Okay. Well, I grew up in Southern California and um, my mother was a teacher. My father was in education as well, but I never wanted to be a teacher. And then, of course, I ended up teaching. <laughs> but uh, it was wonderful. And I had a 20 four-year career in the classroom, mostly with the high school students, teaching everything from humanities to history to Latin to um, computer things and uh, English, so all kinds of things. And, and then I left the classroom about three years ago to work for a startup in San Francisco, which really threw me into the business world, um, the crazy 
Silicon Valley-esque business world. And what we were doing was writing curriculum for um, innovation and creativity for schools in Brazil and Colombia and India. And that really got me back to the roots of what good learning is, because I had been really involved with digital tech and integration, and, and that was that was fab. But this really got me to think about, well, what if you didn't have anything except maybe like a piece of paper and a pencil? What would good pedagogy look like? So I really enjoyed that. And um, for the past 10 years or so, I've been um, speaking a lot and, and helping teachers uh, be better teachers, I guess. And more recently, um, I've gotten to be really into visual thinking, visual literacies, and of course, creativity, how it works, um, how to make yourself more creative and whatnot. And I ended up writing a book with a fellow teacher, Dan Ryder, who teaches in Maine. And we've written a book that has a bunch of recipes in it, I guess, for um, teachers to use with students to amplify their creativity and allow them to show the intention behind what they make. But I'm actually more interested in, in how that can be applied to the corporate sector and to other sectors, um, so not just students. Okay, so name of the book is? Is Intention, Critical Creativity in the Classroom. And the intention is is kind of tapping into the articulating your reasoning behind what you make. So that's kind of the, the crux of all of the, the oh, theory behind it. Cool. Okay. So I guess what, if I said to you, what is, you know, what is creativity to you and how, how do you bring creativity into your everyday life? What would, what mm. would you say to that? So for me, <clears throat> creativity is not necessarily the, the common definition that everybody says is creating something novel that's useful. But that to me is more innovation. So I think creativity is actually connecting dots. So I'm a big believer in metaphorical thinking, in, in wonder, and in kind of seeing things that people might miss. Um, so really noticing things curating things, taking things in, and then doing that dot connecting. Um, seeing relationships where other people don't, making juxtapositions. And that's why I love Remix so much. So for creativity, I think that's, that's where you have to start, is you have to start with gathering your dots, <laughs> your metaphorical dots, which is taking things in and then uh, internalizing them and then being able to make these connections. So having a sense of wonder and curiosity is kind of where it starts. Um, being able to always want to learn things and want to see things. And there's a, there's a thing called um, being a flaneur, which is kind of this old 1800s kind of thing where people wander around the town and really take things in and they don't really have a plan. They just kind of wander. And I love that wandering aspect kind of having your mind wander right and wandering around and taking things in so i'm a flaneuse i guess <laughs> <laughs> so you know when when we look at so i've just got your book so literally it is fresh through the door and um, so i'm just working my way through it but what a good book instantly it was a quickly i quickly went through the, pretty much the first chapter I was like, yes, this is this is going to be one of the most important books I read this year, I reckon, for me personally, and just kind of allowing my mind to wander, I guess. So, you know, from a from a kind of classroom school background, 
obviously we're, mm-hmm. we were talking just before we, we jumped on this live and was talking about kind of using it in a context within a learning development industry within say an old corporate environment have you done have you seen much this done um well in the corporate environment have you have you delivered a lot with it within the corporate environment i guess yeah i just actually got back from a really cool workshop it was an all-day experience in melbourne and we went through kind of these different themes between wonder and remix and ideation how, how do we come up with ideas um what are some strategies that we can actually use to come up with ideas and then how do we refine them um and all all types of kind of themes within creativity Cre- creative constraints is a big one is that a lot of people think creativity involves freedom but actually most people find that they can be more creative when there's some parameters which is kind of what my book's about it's a lot of parameters and prompts and probes um and i really think that's helpful for people because as they practice these kind of techniques and strategies they can see how they can apply in any content with any context um, with any age group and remix them for their own purposes so even though like for example our book is written for teachers and students in k-12 i find that adults are really loving it and a lot of uh, people that work with teams say oh this is perfect for my professional development or facilitation for this team blah 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 so it's it is really fun and um my big coup the other day was I had about 350 or so people in one room and I was doing a keynote on visual thinking and I got them to do a Tai Chi <laughs> where they learned the um, they learned the principles of design in Tai Chi. This was actually not developed by me. It was developed by a friend of mine who's an art teacher, but it was so cool to see like 350 adults in the morning doing this Tai Chi, learning the principles of design and moving their bodies and that was really neat oh wow so i i guess we you know we talk about experiences and stuff and kind of learning experiences and i just mm-hmm. think you know for someone who was who was going through that you know the design principles through tai chi what a great experience you know that's something when you know when you walk out and depending on how much recall is probably important but actually how many people go and talk about that in a year's time about the experience and kind of how they felt and how it was a little bit out of the box and a little bit quirky and I just think there's, there's so much weight. It was, it was definitely quirky. It was great to see. And the other one that really was fun for them, I think, was I, I, love, I love finding interesting things in the mundane. So I asked people to take anything out of their bags, their purses, their handbags, their backpacks or whatever. And then as a team, they created a sculpture that represented something that they learned at the conference with all these items. And they had to label them and whatever. And it was really fun to see because it was like, you know, 350 people creating these sculptures <laughs> out of just everyday things. And the way they used these everyday objects was so brilliant, you know, and just doing a gallery walk at the end and seeing everybody's kind of takeaways from the conference that they could have written down in a normal way, given conference feedback. But instead they were they were making art and they were using metaphor and thinking metaphorically. So cool. So, so cool. So with this podcast, I mean, I guess, you know, it's about the people behind the learning and we'll, we'll dip, we, I kind of, I've dipped in between um, kind of digital designers and people who are doing true innovation, not just designing, say, your e-learning stuff. And mm-hmm. it's between that to, you know, creative minds and coaching people and certain people who I know are really good coaches. And it's kind of all about the, 
the people behind that and getting to know a little bit more about the people Mm -hmm. behind that. So some of these questions, you'll probably be like, wow, where's that come from? But let's just see where we go. So (laughs) um, if I was to say to, you know, you have to give a gift of a book to three people and it can't be your own. Let's let's put that Mm -hmm. one straight away. And it's a gift to kind of, like you say, to three loved ones or to three friends or family or whatever. What, Mm -hmm. What book would you give them? I give them my favorite book in the entire world, which is Marshall McLuhan's The Medium is the Massage. (laughs) So I I have that um, next to me right now, actually. I love the art history, and it's um, it's illustrated by Quentin Fiore. My copy is, anyway. Um, It's really, like, mid-century cool. But I just love Marshall McLuhan. I love his ideas. I think they're poignant for today. And um, I also like the way that he's, he's not too verbose you know what I mean it's like he's, he's down to the point kind of thing and I think that's yeah that would be the book okay cool so so what's in your whole career maybe this can be personal it can be professional take it these questions can be adapted to any which way you, you want to go with mm-hmm. it anyway. so what's been your your um probably your most positive negative experience and it sounds a bit weird to say that but what's been the yeah the experience where you in the moment you've gone well this is a real bad thing and it's been you know oh this this is bad only to kind of reflect upon it maybe in a week a year month's time and it's been kind of one of the biggest positives in your life yeah hands down and this is a story you share quite often is um about 11 years ago i got diagnosed with cancer and I just, you know, my kid was only just turning two and you know, it was a really stressful time. I was teaching and I really started to go down to the dark side as most people would do. Um, but then something happened where I really started noticing how beautiful life was and how wonderful everything that even was mundane was. And I really wanted to create some sort of legacy as well um, to really kind of make my imprint in the world. And I was able to work with a fellow um, teacher, a, kind of a creative soulmate in a way, and he and I produced these music videos. It sounds really frivolous and whimsical, but basically they're parodies of 80s pop songs mostly, uh, and they're history lessons because I was teaching history at the time. And I got to use all my wigs because I was bald, so I had you know 15 million wigs and dress up in costumes and act in these kind of funny music videos, but they were real lessons. I mean, we didn't dumb them down or anything. And I enjoyed writing the lyrics. I enjoyed singing them and recording, learned all about that. And anyway, YouTube was just starting out at the time. I mean, it's right in the beginning days where there was only cat videos, you know, and uh, my students said, oh, you should, you should put them on YouTube. And what I learned from that experience was because they became kind of viral right away is that it doesn't matter if you, if you share something, it doesn't matter if you affect just one person, it's worth it. So I became really into sharing work and working openly and just not caring if anybody liked it or not. And what I found from that was that the audience that I thought would appreciate these videos, which were, you know, students revising for their history exams or whatever, was actually expanded to, you know, people I never thought of, like people who just enjoyed um, that song or people who were learning English uh, and they loved the subtitles or people that were hard of hearing and they loved the subtitles. So it's really fascinating. And then I became intrigued with social media and the power of 
being connected as learners and being connected um, as creators. And yeah, still to this day, I think for me, that was a transformative experience because I look at life differently. And I, I have this quote that I stole from Henry Miller, which is, paint what you like and die happy. <laughs> and it's made me more of a, I guess having that experience has made me more of a, an unapologetic person um, who just wants to make something cool every day, you know, even if it's something little, but like not waste a day, basically. Okay. Okay, cool. So a few things on there, which I'd love to touch upon, I guess. So, you know, you talk about um, creative, a creative soulmate. So, mm-hmm. so what is that? What is that to you? I think there's these people out there that you just click with and you can do wonderful things with because your talents complement each other and, and you're not, you know, and you're you're carefully critiquing the other person in a, in a positive way where you make them better and they make you better. Um, you know, you don't, you don't flatter each other, <laughs> but you, you build on each other's talents. And I've known a couple and I've done collaborative work with a couple. Dan is one, you know, my co-author. Um, we knew immediately when we met at a conference that, wow, we have the same approach to things and we should definitely collaborate and pool our efforts. And then, um, Herb, who was the, the colleague that I worked with on the music videos was he was very shy. It was like, unlike me, right? He was very shy, very humble, but he was such a brilliant musician and kind of had a whimsical heart about him. And he was just, I remember he really got me through cancer at one time because I, I said, I just, I hate seeing myself on film and having no hair and all this stuff. And he says, you're so much more than your hair. And that really stuck with me. And I've been able to help other people in that situation using that kind of line, like, you know, what is your essence? You're you're much more than your hair or, you know, what people see outside. You know, what do you want to give back to the world through your creation? Okay. I I guess you're right because I think, you know, when I look at kind of my career where I'm up to now, you know, there's there's always people, I I think it's the easiest thing in the world to pull somebody else's work apart and it always will be Mm -hmm. the easiest job in the world Um, and there's ways to do it in a a good way. But there's then there's, there's kind of them organic things which happen which you know when you're giving feedback you know it's coming from the right place you know it's coming from the heart and it's it's to kind of grow you in but in a real loving way um you know I'm quite lucky I've probably had probably two or three so far I'd say who you know I've had I've had good friends who will help that but then the creative soulmate yeah they they tend to they tend to be the, the unicorns if you like you know the the ones which actually really do shine out so I like that. A creative soulmate. It's, it's like good. the Paul and John, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like everybody needs a, everybody has to have a Paul and John relationship. <laughs> Sometimes it's dicey, but you know, but I think it really does. Yeah. Build you. I, I use it. Speaking of feedback, something that I like to share with people is like, if you use this sort of, if you're giving feedback to someone or critique, say, I love that because first of all, you, you have to love something about what they've done. And then instead of tearing it apart, say, well, what if, so love the what if. So what if causes the person who's doing the critiquing to actually think creatively and proactively rather than just tearing something down, but actually proposing a change that could happen. So I think that's really helpful. Love the what if. Yeah. One of me, um, one of my old bosses from probably a while back, give me a good piece of information she said, rather than use the word but, replace it with and and watch what happens. And it's yeah. it's something that's kind of stuck me for a while. 
you know, you could say this is really great, but, and then you could say this is really great, and what about if we put this on? It's just, it just, mm-hmm. it just completely reframes the question. I, I guess can ta- kind of sometimes take the sting out of it as well. So we talked about remix. Mm. And for them who don't know what remix is, a remix. <laughs> oh, is I have in a yoga. great analogy for remix. So I, I use alcoholic beverages for my <laughs> description. <laughs> so remix is a transformation of something. So I like to think of a Long Island iced tea where it's, you've got all these different alcohols in there, but it's transformed into something brand new. Uh, And you don't really even know what's in there, but you know that there are other pieces in there. Where a mashup, which is a kind of remix, is really more like a layered drink, like a a white Russian. So you can see distinctively the layers. Um, So people do, for example, compilation video, like super cuts of videos, and they mash them all up. You can still see the individual films but they create new meaning from the mashup. But for Remix, it, it really is being transformative. So um, I think all creativity is Remix. I think there's nothing really novel that all creativity builds on other people's creativity. And, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants, that whole quote. But it's really true that all the great artists that we think, like think of Quentin Tarantino, for example. Like he draws from so many sources. Same with George Lucas drawing from, you know, Japanese film to this aesthetic to that aesthetic, you know, all kinds of things have been remixed into this new transformative piece. And I love remix because it's kind of um, irreverent (laughs) in a way. So I, when I do my own art, I like to do remixes. Like I do this thing called bard art, which is mixing Bridget Bardot into famous pieces of art. And it's just, it's just kind of a funny little experiment for me, but people love it because it gives new meaning to the actual piece of art. And it, and I try to really match like her position, her body position in the photo with whatever's going on in the art. So things like that, things like um, um, doing, I, I like, I had this series called Mushroom Moments because we're in Hawaii, we're really obsessed with, you know, nuclear stuff right now. <laughs> I went through that whole <laughs> drill. And so as a kind of a, a response. I did this thing called mushroom moments where I stick images of kind of people from the fifties and sixties in, in advertisements where they look really happy. And, and then there's like a mushroom cloud blowing up behind them, but they're just oblivious, you know, kind of thing. So it's, yeah, it's gonna, it can be like a political statement or can bring life to something old. Um, so one fun thing to do is like you can draw over, you know, in your phone, you can take a picture and draw over it. And it's really fun to go to a museum and take a picture of the artwork and then caption it or, you know, make voice bubbles coming out of the artwork, or okay. draw little things on the people or whatever, you know, just kind of <laughs> graffiti over them digitally. <laughs> wow. I've never, I've, to be honest, that has never entered me to do that. Um but that's definitely on my to-do list, 100%. We have we have some great museums. We have a great museum in Manchester as well. Um, so I'll do that on my to-do list next time I'm over there. Yeah. I mean, that, that'll, that'll um, kind of give me that emotional jerk to go, thanks, Amy. I remember us having that podcast <laughs> way back when. So, you know, when you look at your videos and stuff and kind of you expressing yourself, I guess, what's, what's the top maybe tools, resources, what you use, maybe it's in your day-to-day life or within your creative, when you're in your creative flow, if you like. Or, mm-hmm. But you can't use, you can't use any social media as, as an option. 
Okay. Um, yeah, you can't use YouTube because YouTube will be an easy out for you. So you can't use YouTube either. No, I got it. <laughs> so I, I do believe in clocking creativity, which means like having a schedule and actually making time to do a particular thing. So often I, I'll do things in themes so that I have a, you know, like a couple of weeks where I'm doing one type of thing, like cut up poetry, for example. Um, I start each day off with a list on paper of things I want to get done. And I have, I kind of divide my notebook into sparks, irons in the fire, back burner and campfire, which means that I've already put it out in the world and it's shared. But I have all these kind of back burner projects, right? Things I just have sparks of ideas for, but I haven't really started them yet. And then back burners, stuff I've already started and I need to keep going. Okay. But I do make time for it. Like there was a time when I hated 3.30. It's like I'm the worst in the afternoon. I just am. I'm a, I'm a night person and I'm also the early morning person. But where that's actually when I get most of my creative work done is really early in the morning. But 3.30 just killed me. So I forced myself. I kind of gave myself a creative kick in the pants. And I said, okay, at 3.30 every day, you're going to sketch a quote. And this allowed me to find really cool quotes that I've now sort of internalized and I often draw upon in talks or whatever. Um, often it'd be like, if the person died that day, I'd look up a quote from them you know, or something <laughs> like that. Um, and then, you know, it helped my sketching because that just takes practice. You just have to get better and better and practice every day. But it was something that really forced me to concentrate for about 10 minutes each day at a particular time. So I think scheduling is really important. I think writing things down, I have, I write things down on real paper all over the place. And, um, those are my two big, having a notebook by your bed. That's, that's the other thing. Not that I'm a surrealist, but I do believe that like your best ideas often happen in the middle of the night or right when you wake up. Um, also when you're drinking. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you go to the pub, have a notebook <laughs> because often the best ideas will happen when you're drinking as well because your mind just gets, you know, your internal editor gets shut off a little bit. You know, you can't drink too much, otherwise you'll lose it. But, um, but having a notebook to archive, it's like, a, it's like a net that catches butterflies. If the ideas were butterflies, the net will catch them and the net is the notebook. So always have that. Um, or you could do voice messages on your phone, but that's not as romantic as having a notebook. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. That's pretty good. I think it's really interesting in, in this day and age where we have so much digital tools around us that, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned the voice note there, but the first thing you went to is something actually really kind of tried and tested and, you know, pen to paper. But I have to give a shout out to the phone on the smart camera. So on the smartphone, uh, this camera app, because I think the camera app has changed. I think it's the most transformative change that I think we've had as, you know, in the past 10 years is having a camera on us at all times. Okay. That, that you, that means you can take as many pictures as you want and not feel bad about it. Remember when we were, I was little, you know, it's like, okay, it was a crapshoot of how, you know, I have 15 photos I can take. I don't know what they're going to look like until I get them from the <laughs> printer, you know, and I better not waste them. And now you can just take so many. So I think for me, that is the most powerful app that has ever been invented is the ubiquitous camera app on our smartphones. Oh. And I think, um, for me as a, as a person who likes to travel and wander around and take in everything, all the details, you know, that I can archive them 
through my camera app. So okay, so got to give a shout out to those people that invented the camera app. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. So before we get into your book, because I, I kind of want to jump into that and and get mm-hmm. a bit of understanding of where that come from and stuff. If you was to give a gift to a child, a physical gift, what would that gift be? Oh wow. I think uh, a very large pad of very quality blank white paper. <laughs> very good quality blank white paper. And, and actually, that is my favorite gift to give my daughter. She has always loved just the possibilities that a pad of blank white paper okay. can possess. Perfect. Okay, so let's, let's talk about your book. So your book is Intention Critical... Um, creativity in the classroom mm-hmm. um so yeah why why where did that come about kind of why did you release it to the world other than other to share kind of yeah just walk me through kind of that whole from a from an idea to kind of a book what's right in front of me now so i um i met dan Ryder, uh who teaches in maine and he teaches through the lens of design thinking okay and i I wasn't that familiar with design thinking when I met him, but I was actually doing design thinking without knowing it, (laughs) but doing a lot of creative things. And I love, of course, art, the arts. Um, I think everything should be taught through the lens of the arts and philosophy. But when Dan and I met, we started sharing ideas and we actually got our classes together, which was really funny because Maine and Hawaii are about the farthest you can get in the United (laughs) States and still be in the United States. And they got together and did some projects together. And uh, we sat... People just loved our ideas because we would always share our ideas um, and what we were doing. We were both pretty transparent online. And we said, well, we should just pool all these together in a kind of thematic, organized way and, you know, pool our efforts and make a book. Now, I wasn't really thrilled with the concept of writing a book because I'd already written a lot of curriculum that ended up being books. I didn't like it. It was tedious. Um, I, I tend to like shorter things, shorter bits like small videos or just like one graphic design. And for me too, the book, I have a problem with books in that um, the same problem that Socrates had, which is like with the printed word, I mean, well, with text in general is that it doesn't, you can't have a conversation with the author in, in effect. I mean, it just kind of stays there bound between these covers. So I made a point of saying, I want this to be a living book. I want it to be remixable. I want it to be a book that, although it's tangible, it also kind of can have this life and community online. So that's why we, we put a, a hashtag to every single activity. It's a unique hashtag. So people, as they use this, as they do the activities, they can share online and our community will grow. And, and it's happening. So I'm really happy that we did that. Um, but it is fun to have, you know, this body of work in front of you and go, ooh, these are all my ideas in a little one, you know, one handy place. So we decided, um, I actually flew to Maine and we brainstormed on, on index cards, which are Dan's favorite creative tool, index cards. Uh, we doodled it all out and we started writing. Um, and of course it had to be virtual because, you know, I had to go back home sometimes. So we sort of collaborated on everything. It wasn't like he wrote a chapter and I wrote a chapter. We kind of, it's, it's a mashup really of all of our thinking And um, we're really quite happy with it. But what we're seeing now is that because the premise of intention is that creativity is content agnostic, so meaning it can really go with any class you teach, with any age student, 
we really are finding that adults and people who facilitate teams and, you know, coach adults or whatever are loving it. So what I want to do is kind of remix my own book into maybe a card deck for, um, for L and D or for, you know, people who work with teams and whatnot. So that's my next goal is to do that. Okay. So I guess, yeah, I mean, one of the things which me and I say my mentor and stuff and a couple of other people, what I've noticed with my unique, I like to call it a creative circle. I think, I think that thing Mm -hmm. of you are the the percentage of the, you know, the the five people around you is is so true. Um, And if you're in a creative environment, that's just a perfect place to be. But we we talk back and forth about the the importance of creativity and, and play in the, in the, in the grown up. And I guess, you know, one of the things which, which come up was how quick as, as children moving from children to adults, we lose, we lose this kind of creative flair in us. So what's, I mean, is that something you've noticed as you've kind of been going around and, and kind of, you know, putting your imprint on the world and stuff? Is that, is that something you've noticed? Yeah, what I've noticed when I work with adults and doing all these playful things, well, first you have to frame it and say, you know, all these famous people like Einstein, you know, intel- creativity is intelligence having fun, he said. And then there's combinatorial play. He said all good things happen, new ideas happen because you're playing and combining elements so this playfulness thing is really important because play is actually hard fun. I mean, it, it's actually work and it involves trust. It involves um, persistence. It involves all kinds of things. It involves a goal. It involves mastery. We learn through play. That's how humans start to learn is we learn through play. And we tend to lose it because of our environments and our expectations as we get older. But the best ideas really come from this. What I've noticed when um, adults are doing the activities that you know I'm offering them, that being playful with their ideas, first they have to break through that, that kind of creative confidence thing, that being creative is not being an artist. So a lot of people are not artistically talented, but that doesn't mean they're not creative, right? So they have to first think that creativity is not art. <laughs> and then they have to get to think that that you know, sometimes your gut feeling is actually the best. So not to overthink things. And then they have to have strategies and experiences that allow them to be playful and be okay with that. So that involves having a trustful community, a sense of trust within the community and a sense of respect so that you're not criticizing some idea because it's silly, you know, and getting them through those humps that we've been conditioned to (laughs) <laughs> to have as we're adults take some time but once they they realize that it doesn't have to take a lot of time and that thinking metaphorically is kind of like where it's at and that'll that'll help them grow exponentially as um as thinkers and ideators um i think that's where the beauty happens and they love i mean adults absolutely love getting hands-on like even working with plasticine and <laughs> lego and all that i mean it's, it's not silly. Um, and it actually is really good for us, especially since we're always on our phones or on a screen, we're, we're losing that tactile kind of experience. And I think people love that. And even using their bodies, you know, like I did a data visualization thing, instead of making a chart or graph, why don't we use our bodies for data viz and props? And it's so much fun because, you know, you can still drive the point home and especially could even be more interesting if you use your bodies okay 
Wow, that sounds pretty interesting. And again, it's completely, you know, that's that's something I've never really gone, like, experienced. But wow, that's, that's pretty powerful, I guess. It's, um, it's different, and I guess that's one of the biggest things for me, the difference, you know, if you can separate something from the norm, then instantly, you know, not the recall, but the experience yeah. starts to build from that. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, as humans, we seek novel experiences. And the, the things that are surprising will be sticky to us. I love the word poignancy because it's like poignant, actually, when I did the research on it, because I love that word, it comes from to prick. And I often thought like, oh, it's like pricking at your heart or your soul or your emotions or whatever. It's pricking you and making something sticky. And that's what we want for learning, right? So how do you create a poignant experience? Hmm. That's my, um, that can be, well, for the rest of the day. So it's like getting on to nine o'clock here now. So for the rest of today, I'll use that as my word of the day, 100%. All right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so how, how do you get over in the, in, the, in, the, in the initial moment? How do you get over, you know, I'm sure you probably heard this question a lot. Oh, I'm not, I'm not creative. I can't do that. I'm not creative. How do you get over that, that question in the moment? Well, I mean, for me, a big part of the first thing that I ever talk about with people before we delve into all the stuff about what creativity is and how it works and how we can be more creative is that it's not equated with art because I think we just have this mindset. There's a big misunderstanding that, you know, if you're musical or artistic or whatever and you have that talent, then you are creative. Well, that's true, but that's not all creativity. So driving home the point that creativity is about connecting dots and you can do that with thinking with mixing things in different ways and then seeing analogies and coming up with something that's a mashup of two different ideas all that is creativity and and the sense of you know taking things in and really noticing them and and archiving them in your little library so that you can connect the dots um and so that's kind of how I, I started and it seems to really it seems to really get people because after they're done with the experience, they say, oh, I never thought I was creative and now I realize I am. And really, sometimes it's just getting them to think in metaphors, which everybody could do. We're grow, we grow up on metaphors. I mean, a lot of fairy tales are sort of metaphorical. Um, and everybody, one of my favorite activities, for example, is find, find an image that you've taken on your phone. So something in your camera roll that's a metaphor for, and then I throw out a topic like learning or creativity or change or whatever. And it's something so easy that everyone can do. But the thing is, they have to explain why they chose it. That's the key. Right. And everybody can do it. And they realize like, oh my gosh, I was just being really creative because I'm using a metaphor and with something that I just found, you know, and I'm making it have a different meaning. Okay. Okay. So let's, let's change gears a little bit then. So, if you was say I don't know a, maybe a football stadium, um, and mm -hmm. you bought a billboard on the outside of the football stadium, so all the thousands of people out of this um, stadium would walk out to see your billboard. What message would you put on that billboard? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> now you're going to have me designing billboards, aren't <laughs> uh, I? I would say. Um, I think more whimsy, please, <laughs> would be my thing. I love whimsy. <laughs> and I just think life would be so much better if we had 
more of it. We just took ourselves a little less seriously and had fun with things, you know, had fun with our work, had fun with the hard stuff, but also had fun just for fun's sake and, and appreciated the whimsical. I actually looked up the word whimsical recently for, for a thing, and I found that it comes from the old Norse to have your eyes wander and explore. And I think that's really cool because that's kind of what I'm all about is wandering and exploring. So <laughs> yeah, more whimsy, please. There you go. That's my, my billboard. Perfect. So this, this might not necessarily need an answer straight away, but if Mickey is a mouse and Donald is a duck, what's goofy? <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't that weird? He's like some anthropomorphic dog, isn't he? Like, yes. like <laughs> he is. He's an anthropomorphic dog. That's what I'm calling Goofy. You are literally the first person to get that right. Um, so, really? Yeah. So some people struggle and go, oh, "Is he? Is he a dog?" I'm like, "Well, is he a dog?" Because Pluto's a dog, and you know, Goofy drives a car and wears a hat a lot of times and talks. So it's um. But you summed it up. I'm from. Yeah. It's just yeah. Well done. Well done. I'm impressed. I am impressed. <laughs> he's, the, he's the dog. We, he's the person we always wanted to be. We wanted to be a dog person. Like, <laughs> like we wanted to be more dog, <laughs> less person and more dog, but still have the the, the perks of being a person, right? <laughs> this is it. Summed up perfectly. Summed up perfectly. So, if I was to ask you out of your whole working day, and maybe no, actually, let's not do working day. Let's do out your whole normal day today. Um. Mm-hmm. What? Wait, none of my days are normal. <laughs> okay, so no, this is going to be a good question then. So if I say to you, you can pick two hours out of your day, which you would mm-hmm. have to do over and over again, what two hours of your day would you pick? Wow. All right. So I'm doing some cut-up poetry now, and I love it. So my whole table is filled with words, just words that I rearrange into puzzles and phrases. And I love doing that. It's very calming to me. So that would be my one hour. And my maybe my next hour is that perfect time of day when it's starting to get evening and I pour myself a little whiskey, a little really good peated whiskey <laughs> from <laughs> Scotland. Uh, so, and I sit down and I just draw as well, just to kind of also kind of calm me down you know it's that little transitionary moment between the day and the night where it's just kind of lovely right you're just treating yourself okay so yeah yeah i think that would be it so when we talk about drawing this is just a side question which just comes to mind Mm -hmm. so you do your drawing let's just say with your very standard you know paper pencils paint brushes whichever have you ever kind of tried drawing with like an ipad and an eye pencil Actually, funny you should ask, because most of my drawings are digital, and they okay. are with my phone, which is an iPhone 6. I use one app called Paper by 53, which is a very simple drawing app, but it's my favorite one. And I've actually been loyal to them for a very long time. They've been very kind to me and sent me cool styluses and stuff. But I, I love just drawing with my finger because it's really visceral. And the reason I use my phone is because it's always with me. So I did have an iPad at one time, but I found it to be too cumbersome and it wasn't always with me. And I love the fact, I love the creative constraint actually of like, could I create all my work, my creative work on my phone? So I make movies, I do animations, do drawings. I, you know, everything I put out in the past year and a half has been on my phone. It's amazing what the phone can do. So um, yeah, that's my favorite way to draw actually is with my finger digitally okay 
So what's is there anything what you've kind of noticed? Maybe yeah, what what's the thing which you looking out into the world, you've gone you've looked at something and gone God damn it, I wish I'd come up with that idea. Is anything out there which <laughs> and let's not go with something simple like um Google. Let's go with something, yeah, completely completely Amy like. Oh, wow. This is such a good question. There's a lot of ideas, I like uh, apps that I wanted to develop that don't exist. But there's, yeah. Uh, oh, man. Um, I'm just looking around my house. Like, well, I wish. This is so hard. I guess there's so many things. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, w- I wish... To be honest, I wish I would have invented, like, an art movement. You know, I mean, something like you know, how Picasso developed cubism or, you know, something like that. But I think the camera, to be honest, I wish I would have invented the camera. And, and I think it's just magical. Cameras of all types. I mean, now we have, of course, digital, but like, I think that's a really magical thing because you're capturing moments in time. And I think that's kind of where, where I, that's my true love is capturing a moment in time, whether I sketch it, whether I take a photo, whether I make a poem about it, whether I just take it in and remember it for later. I just love like little moments. And I think that's, yeah, that's what I would love to do is capture that or be able to be the one who said, I invented the way to capture a moment. <laughs> I don't know. Perfect. It's really interesting. I, I, I'm into photography myself um, and I follow um, a guy called Thomas Heaton. He does a lot of YouTube mm-hmm. videos as a photographer. And recently he's gone back to film rather than continue with his digital camera because he really? says it, it puts the constraint back on him. He, he can't just take a thousand pictures and look for the best one. Um, yeah. And it's just going back to kind of what you said, the constraints, putting that a bit of constraint on your creativity and kind of, you know, working within probably maybe what people would, con- well, what people would probably call confinements. It's, um, it's actually really interesting literally just come to me so i probably went off tangent a little bit there <laughs> that's great though so other than um you know you mentioned you're cutting up the poetry and the word poetry and stuff what is there anything else you're learning right now something new you know what i'm really interested in learning more about and working with actually is i'm really fascinated by the use of virtual reality um for healing and especially because like my mother was, my mother had cancer too, and she was in hospice. And, and I always thought when I was going through my things, like it would be so great if I was in chemo to have virtual reality. And there's this, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, but it's Soylent Green from the sixties and it's this, you know, dystopian thing or whatever. But the guy, because the world is overpopulated, there's a euthanasia center and this guy goes in and he picks his favorite song and his favorite color and he goes in to get shot with the poison that's going to kill him. And he's surrounded by giant screens, which of course now could be just glasses, right? And then these screens are these beautiful film of, um, of the, the, the deer roaming through the forest, all these, you know, things that he wants to see because it's just fabulous, right? So I've often thought about that as like, why don't we have virtual reality for, for people who are suffering and people who are in hospice and, and, you know, pre-surgery, post-surgery, have cancer or whatever. So I'm really fascinated by, could I get involved in that somehow? And I want to find out more about that. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. I've, I've been reading a book recently um, called Little Big Things. And it's about a guy who kind of, he went on a lad's holiday 
he jumped into the sea and kind of um, his head hit the, the sandbank and it made him completely paralysed from the neck down. Mm-hmm. And I'm just just applying what you just said then under how he... It, the, the whole book is about him finding kind of... He's, um, he's going through his journey and he's actually got into art now as well. So he paints with his mouth. Which wow. is which is really interesting. He's on Twitter. He's a, yeah, he's really good follow good follow. Um, but I wonder how that would have been because I think on the new Samsung, um, TV advert they've got people wearing VR goggles, aren't they? Kind of trying to find that muscle movement again with like you know prosthetic limbs and stuff. I just think yeah, so that's a really an interesting branch of, of a whole probably a whole different conversation what we could have. So just kind of changing that a little bit so uh, you know your music videos um they're amazing they're literally amazing and kind of before we kind of got on this podcast i was doing a little bit of social stalking but in the in the best possible <laughs> way okay. um and i guess yeah you, you your music videos you've done a few ted talks as well what's what's been your biggest learning from your music videos or from your ted talks well, my TED Talk, so yeah, so here's the thing. So when we got first asked to do, I've done two TED Talks, and the first time it was based on the fact that I'd done all these music videos, and I said, well, I can't just talk about the music videos. That would be silly, right? So I have to think of, you know, what did I learn from it? So that first one was called, what did I learn from Napoleon and MTV? And I kind of fashioned it all around Napoleon's quotes. But Basically, it was what I what did I learn from the experience? And the same thing goes for the, the second TED Talk. It was what can I learn from famous artists and the way they worked, their creative processes, to make me a better teacher and learner and creative. And I think that's the thing. It's like, what can you learn from it? And I learned so much from, you know, from doing the videos and putting them out on YouTube because that whole social media thing was brand new to me. And, and, you know, I had to learn, you know, kind of on the fly. So I guess I learned that, you have to, you know, sometimes things just come at you and you just have to seize them and, and learn right then, even though you didn't expect them. But another big takeaway, I think, too, is kind of what I mentioned before, that you might have this preconceived notion of, you know, your intended audience or the intended purpose of something. But once you, once you launch something out in the world, you don't know where it's going to hit and you don't know who it's going to affect. And I really think it's important to, to stress that even if it helps just one person and you get just one piece of lovely feedback from someone, it doesn't matter if 500 million other people hate it or whatever, it doesn't. So I think that's what I see with kids today. It's like they, you know, they'll put up a picture on Instagram and if it doesn't have a hundred likes in two hours, they'll take it down. And I'm like, how can you take your creative work that you were once proud of down? Because maybe it's going to affect one person in a positive way. You know, so I, I really feel strongly about that and being, non-apologetic just putting it out there even if you don't think it's perfect um but it was worth doing for you so share it yeah it's, it's really interesting you mentioned you know about the whole social media thing i think social media is an absolute gift but it can be absolute um agony to some as well you know we, yeah. we, we kind of live in a real in a world now where we want instant gratification be it through you know the stuff which you use the likes the kind of the comments you know stuff like that and it is such a shame because that's your moment i guess and it's and whatever's kind of put you to your picture whichever you've developed you know it's, it's like you know if you look at say a drawing 
that's there's a lot of emotion being put into that drawing and kind of where your head was at when that come around. I just think it's such a shame to just be able to delete that snapshot of a memory. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a piece of you. Yeah. It's your, an extension of yourself. And I think, I think it's important. I think that that confidence, it's, it's very hard for people to, to grow that confidence and just not caring. But I think that's, that's what has to happen to, and that's why looking at famous artists, like in that Ted talk I did really helped me because a lot of those people like, like, Monet even for example was they were really chastised when they started out or you know when they tried something different nobody understood it and they were criticized and instead of stopping they kept moving on and I think that's the thing is like don't worry about the critics because they probably don't even get it <laughs> you know what I mean and, and, and if it makes you happy then you know if it came from you it's going to be beautiful because you know you're beautiful so there you go it's it's true. It's such a shame that you know, but the let's not say the innovators, but the the creatives, the the people who come up with the, the, the ideas, the the expressive people, and the people who come up with ideas which are probably maybe so far advanced that people just aren't ready for it. Like it's a constant battle with the tide. It's such a yep. shame that that's still kind of here. I think it's got better, obviously, but it's it's still there within you know big corporate environments. You can still see that you know you go into any business. And you know some of the some of the best ideas kind of get some of them don't even really even see light of day. It's just yeah, it's a bit of a shame. Anyway, um, so <laughs> what's you know in in your in probably in what in what you do, Amy? You know you you're always kind of coming up with new ideas at some points and expressing yourself and stuff. So what at what point you know whenever you start to lose focus or you lack the creative flow or you know you start hitting a wall with something you're doing how do you regain focus and how do you you know maybe it's how do you regain focus but actually how do you bring yourself back into the moment yeah I'm a big believer in incubation as part of the creative process so stepping away from something um, for a while I'm taking a break another thing that I often do is something a lot of people do um, is do something mundane, like take a walk or do the dishes or do the laundry or take a swim. Something kind of, you're not thinking, but in the back of your head, you're still thinking and processing it. So when I swim laps, which is really boring, but good for my body, um, I often think of really amazing ideas. A lot of people think of ideas in a shower, for example, right? So all of that helps. And then one trick I did find, I was supposed to do writing for work, you know, and I was just struggling. I was, I had a real writer's block. It was not fun, but I had my cut up poetry all on the table. And every once in a while I would just stand up and, you know, work out a little puzzle with the words. Basically it's like a puzzle, right? So you're rearranging the words and, um, that really helps stimulate my, my juices, I guess, <laughs> to have me come back fresh, but really being okay with stepping away from something for a while is important. Okay. Have you, this is a side note again, Is it? have you ever been in a flotation tank? No, but oh. I would, I don't know if I would like that. I can't even scuba dive without freaking out. So maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Have you tried that? So yeah, I've, I've done it a couple of times. Um, I can't, I can't remember who put me onto it actually. It was, it was, it was a while ago. Um, but basically, you know, you are in a bit of a, like, it's, it's a bit like an oversized bath, basically. You know, you can't drown or anything like that, but the idea is, is that the salt balances out the gravity pushing down. So in pitch black darkness, 
So and the idea is is that you start becoming stimulated, so your body realizes that you know there's no gravity pushing down on you. And then the idea mm-hmm. is a lot of creative thinkers do it and kind of use it as a bit of a deep relaxation. I know a lot of comedians do it as well, kind of when they're writing this, you know, the the, the material. They tend to do a lot, a lot of it tends to be done like I yeah, in something like a, a flotation tank. But yeah, I've just thought yeah, I've thought I'd wow. with you. <laughs> I might try. Well, I do something like that in the pool where I just float and my ears get, you know, have the water in them so I can't hear anything and I close my eyes. So I guess I make my own flotation tank up. <laughs> but I mean, it, that does help. I call it my, um, oh gosh, what's the the graduate moment? You know, like in the movie, The Graduate, he's floating like that and just <laughs> tuning everything out. That's Yeah. Huh. Okay. I might, I might try that if I don't get too claustrophobic. I do like dark though. Yes. I do like being in the kind of bright light is not helpful for me for creativity. I have to be sort of in the shade, you know, yeah. <laughs> blackout curtains and stuff. <laughs> Everybody has their own thing, right? But yeah. I think, I think you might, yeah, you give it a go. Life's about experiences, right? Okay. Um, well, maybe, maybe when I'm in England, I'll, I'll ask you for where I should go and I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, definitely. There's one in Manchester, literally. So yeah. And I think there's quite a few in London and stuff. So, yeah, you could you could definitely get one sorted as well. So, <laughs> I guess at the beginning, I asked you to um, to pick out some numbers. Yes, um, I'm dying to know what this is for. Okay. So, so these numbers tally up to a right long list of random objects. And the idea is pretty simple. You're stuck on a desert island and your numbers tally up to the these random objects. So you have a picture frame a shoelace, a spoon, and a bottle cap. What would you do with these items? <laughs> oh, well, <coughs> picture frame, <laughs> shoelace, a spoon, and my... Okay, so I'm immediately I'm thinking of, of creating my own art by tying the picture frame with the shoelace up to different scenes in nature just to stimulate my, you know, creating my own like found art with the picture frame and the shoelace. Um, so that I can, you know, find different perspectives and pretend I'm in a museum, even though I'm on this Island, the spoon and the bottle cap. Wow. I probably, oh gosh, knowing me, I'd probably make jewelry out of it because I'd probably have some sort of jewelry. <laughs> Some sort of thing. Um, it's too. Oh wow, that's really a great exercise. Yeah, I think the spoon and the bottle cap could make interesting noise as well, but I probably wouldn't want noise. Um, yeah, I'd probably do some 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 sort of artsy thing. I'd probably use the spoon as sort of a, a stylus in the sand, and the bottle cap with its fluted edges could create a pattern on something and. Perfect. I think that's probably what I would do. Yeah. Okay. Nothing Super. practical, right? <laughs> Just something to keep me sane. <laughs> Just like... Could be worse. You could have a Casey ball and draw a face on it. So ah. what's the, at the start of this, at the start, you know, of our conversation, I asked you when you was young, what, what it was you, you know, when the teacher asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up and you mentioned, you know, potentially a spy or an illustrator. <laughs> and, you know, the thing is, is we never really truly grew up. We never really do. It, it doesn't stop at a certain age and that's it. And we can, we constantly learn, develop and kind of embrace having a child. So if I was to ask you now, Amy, what is it you want to be when you grow up? What would you say? My ideal thing would be, besides being 
a kind and memorable person <laughs> would be to be um, the designer of interactive experiences in museums, especially art museums, because there's a lot of really cool like science museums that have that. But a lot of times I, I frequent art museums and I feel like they could just be so much better if we could actually have the people participating in that type of art that they're seeing. And so I would love to do something like that. Okay. And maybe I will. And also the cancer thing. Also working with um, how to how to do cancer better, basically. How to make it better for cancer patients and make their experience better, whether it be with VR or with, you know, instituting massages post-surgery, pre-surgery. I, I have all these ideas, but I feel like I need to give back to that community in a way. So ah, how, how ace would it be if, you know, we get, a younger audience going into these art museums and you know you go to say a, I don't know a picture and you hold up your phone and the argument with the kicks in I mean actually what you have is you have this artist the artist who create the piece telling you all about it wow yeah, yeah. Anyway, I went, well I want I want to use that see remember the idea I told you about about remixing it so I want to have that be an app that so you can go and then hold it up and you can see everybody else's remix of that art and you can comment on them like a social media AR thing for museums Wow. But I don't know if that'll ever exist. Wow. Maybe. Maybe somebody will hear this and go, Amy, yes, I will develop that for you. <laughs> yeah, make it happen. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, Amy, we're kind of um, coming to an end now, but where can people find out a little bit more about you and kind of what you're up to and, yeah, kind of keep in touch with you? Well, the best way is really through Twitter. I put everything out on, you know, at Amy Burval. Um so all my creative work, all my blogging, which is more of my thinking, um, all that goes on Twitter. Also Instagram, if you're interested in the artwork that I do and the, the remixes and some of my photography and travels, that'll be there. We, um, we have a book site, uh, Twitter. We have a book site, intentionthebook.online, which gives you a little sampling. Um, and then we also have a, a Twitter handle, at intentionbook which is really cool because you can see what other people are doing with the book. But mostly, yeah, I do a lot of my thinking on my blog, um, which is, you'll probably have in the show notes, yeah. but it's kind yeah, of, it's kind of a long there. thing. I'm redoing my website right now, so don't go there yet because I'm totally redoing <laughs> that and giving it a new home on a new look. Uh, so yeah, I think Twitter's really the best place and Instagram too. Okay, superb. Well, Amy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm so glad that you had me on and we got to chat. And now I'm, my goal is going to be to find a tank <laughs> yes. to, to float in. <laughs> Do it. You, you won't look back. You will not look back. Okay. <laughs> Cheers, Amy. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. Bye-bye.